Today, the title of my message this morning is Fight for Your Family. Help me preach my message and turn to your neighbor and say, hey man, fight for your family. Before I get really serious, let me share this. An atheist complained to his Christian friend, you Christians have so many special holidays, such as Christmas and Easter. Jews celebrate their national holidays, such as Passover and Yom Kippur. But we atheists have no recognized national holidays. That's unfair discrimination. His Christian friend replied, why don't you celebrate April 1st? If you don't know, ask someone who laughed. <laughs> the book of Nehemiah is a powerful book that has so much rich imagery and principle for us to draw from for our own walk with God. And in chapter 4, there is kind of a high point reached about, about a breakthrough. And, and so, so Nehemiah has the best job you can get as a Hebrew in Babylon. He is the king's cupbearer. And in antiquity, the most common way or maybe the most successful way of assassinating a leader was through poison. And so the cupbearer would literally drink the wine and eat the food the king would eat to make sure it wasn't poisoned. So it was both a dangerous job, but also you're eating the best food in the world. You're eating a king's meal. You're drinking king's wine. And you would live connected probably in a, an adjacent apartment uh, close to the king. And so he's got the best job you can have. Now, now, now here's an important point. Your job is not your destiny. It's a platform for your destiny. Your job is not your purpose. It's a platform. Your purpose is to expand the kingdom of God in the earth. That's your purpose. We all share the same purpose, to be like Jesus, to expand his kingdom. So one day he's talking to some friends that came from his hometown, his home country, Israel, Jerusalem. And they, he says, how are things back home? How is everyone doing? And they said, things are horrible. We're under reproach, affliction, oppression, and it's really bad. When he heard how bad it was, his heart broke. Often God will connect you to a destiny direction by breaking your heart for someone who's hurting. So his heart, his passion is awakened. It's because he's got the best job in the world. He's prosperous and blessed and blessed and blessed until destiny found him. Then passion erupted. And he, 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 he's serving the king his meal. And the king says, what's wrong with you? I can tell something's wrong. You're sad. And, and, and in that time, it was, it was a death sentence to come into the king's presence sad. Can you imagine having a job where they kill you if you're not smiling? Yeah, kill that guy. He's frowning. It'd make bosses happy. The rest of us would be dead. So he comes in there. He can't conceal. Sometimes your prophetic purpose is so consuming, you can't hide it anymore. So his emotions. And so he says to the king, I'm sorry. I don't mean to disturb you, but I I cannot help but be burdened because my hometown, my people are suffering. They're under reproach. They're being afflicted. They're, they're experiencing trauma. And the king said, what do you want me to do? And Nehemiah correctly prayed, asked God, and said, 
He asks for lumber, he asks for servants, he asks for stone workers, he asks for everything that would be required to rebuild the broken walls of Jerusalem. So when Babylon conquered Jerusalem, they didn't tear the whole wall down. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, the, the wall is built with these magnificent, huge granite, bolt, granite stones. I mean, they're ginormous. And so when, when, when the wall was conquered, they didn't tear the whole wall down, they just pushed a couple holes in it. And the stones came tumbling down. They pulled the stones down into a, a, a ravine just outside of the city, at the bottom of the hill the city's on. And then, then they left the open. When the army made the breach, then they left because as long as there was an unprotected hole in the wall, the city was, was, city was unsafe and unprotected and could be easily retaken any time. The problem with brokenness is, as long as it's in, you can bind the devil every day of your life, but if you're not healed of brokenness, he comes and goes whenever he wants to because there's a hole in your soul that gives him access to bring affliction. So Nehemiah says, we're going to fix that. Nehemiah is a type of the Holy Spirit, a type of Jesus. The, the always my comforter, I, I believe, is what his name means. So Nehemiah comes. He's ready to do it. And, and, and as soon as he begins to share his mission about rebuilding the wall, adversity rises up. So you find out who's with you when, when, when the people who can't celebrate your victories, when you start getting healthy, it's a sign of who's with you and who's not. It's shocking who will resist the progress of your journey to emotional, mental, spiritual, wholeness, health, and restoration. And so, so Sanbelt, Tobiah, and some other people rise up against him, and their first attack was, was ridicule, mockery, a type of anger concealed by, you know, the cynicism. They said, what do you think you're doing? Will you rebuild this in a day? Even a fox could knock this over. We revived the stones from the hill of rubbish. The stones were at the bottom of the hill now, had been covered up with 70 years worth of garbage. They would throw their garbage out. It would roll down the hill and land on the stones. And, and, and so when you tell people what God, have you ever gotten the word from God and you shared it with someone and they started laughing? Are you kidding me? That's never going to happen to you. Because they can't imagine you fulfilling God's purpose. So anyways... Then, then they, the, the next attack was confusion. They hired people, they conspired with people to create confusion. Our whole country, our whole culture, our whole world is under an assault of confusion. Confusion is not by accident. It is a weapon of the enemy. So they tried to create confusion to stop the workers from rebuilding the walls. And the last attack was discouragement. And discouragement happened because... This one kind of makes me chuckle. So the stones, these, these, these burnt stones, they were, they were discolored but hadn't lost any strength. So they had scar tissue but were as strong as ever, these burnt stones. So the tribe of Judah was given the task of unearthing, of going through the rubbish and finding the stones. And ten times they came to Nehemiah and said, there's too much rubbish. When you say to God, God, show me what's wrong with me, prepared for a rubbish revelation. <laughs> You're like, whoa, I wasn't, this is more than I expected, Lord. Lord, I love you so much. Deal with anything in me that you want to touch. Yay. <laughs> wow, it's stinky in here. 
And ten times they said, there's too much rubbish. And ten times Nehemiah said, keep digging. Don't give up on yourself. Just because there's more to deal with than you thought, God knew already. He's with you and you're going to make it. So Nehemiah now is encouraging them against cynicism, against confusion, against discouragement. And he says this to him in Nehemiah 4, verse 14. I looked and I arose and I said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Do not be afraid of them. Remember who God is. How great and awesome he is. And pick up your sword and go to war and tell the devil to get his filthy hands off your family. And fight for their souls. Lord, anoint your servant, your word, your people. Show the devil who's boss today. In Jesus' name, just three points. Number one, Nehemiah said, the greatest enemy you're going to face in this recovery mission of rebuilding your life, rebuilding God's purpose, fulfilling your destiny is fear. Do not be afraid. Fear is the expectation, the anticipation of evil. It's the, really the counter behavior of faith. Faith is to expect God's promises. Hope is to expect good in the future. And and fear is the opposite. So, so he said this, don't let fear stop you from fulfilling your promise, your destiny, and your divine purpose. And, and it's a big deal because we now have been in a season of time when fear has crippled the entire earth. And, and reasonable, rational, intelligent people have done incredibly ignorant things because they were afraid. It's, a, it's amazing the bad decisions people make under fear. Intelligent people do stupid things. When fear takes over their mind. Here's what the Bible says. Paul's writing to Timothy, his spiritual son. He said this in 2 Timothy 1, 7. He said, son, God's not given you a spirit of fear. But of power, love, and a sound mind. Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. He's going through things. Paul discerns it, writes the letter, and says, son, you've got to learn to fight fear. Well, well pastor, what, what do I do when I have fear? You'll face it. You'll fight it. You refuse to tolerate it. You refuse to incorporate into your personality, your belief system, or your activities. You have to war against it. Don't hide it. Don't embrace it. Don't, don't learn to live with it. You hate it as an enemy. I refuse to be afraid. I refuse to let fear govern my thoughts, my decisions, my words, my relationships, my ministry, my business. God's not giving you, but God has given you a spirit of love. Here's what first. John 4 says this in verse 18, about God's love, there is no fear in love. Well, I, that's a pretty bold and pretty concrete and a pretty powerful statement. It says this, if you're afraid, it's evidence that a part of your heart needs to encounter God's love. Fear is evidence that love is not reigning. There's no fear in love, agape love. But perfect love, mature love, well-developed love, cast out fear. Because fear involves torment. He that fears has not been made perfect in love. So what does love do? It evicts fear. 
Come on, Jesus, love the fear out of me. Love fear out of me. If I'm afraid of my future, it's because I don't trust the one that holds it. And he wants to love me, so I trust him, and then fear leaves me. God wants to love you, so fear can't find a place in you. Your mind, your heart, your relationships, your world, your decisions, your future, your vision, whatever it is. God wants to give you so much revelation and encounters of his love that you laugh at fear. Instead of being oppressed by fear, you rule over it. You face it, you fight against it, you overcome it. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed, the waters, the earth shake, the seas. God's, David said this, don't matter what happens. I refuse to be afraid. I refuse to be afraid. God is my refuge and my strength. Okay. Psalm 23, of course, the great psalmist of Israel said this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Fear robs, kills, and destroys. Fear stops our lives. Fear paralyzes our future. Fear is a lie. Fear is a demonic weapon. Fear comes from believing a lie. And we're getting out of fear. Turn to your neighbor and say, do not be afraid. Point number two, Nehemiah said, remember who you're serving. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Three points about this. When we forget how good God is, we lose confidence in the outcomes of our future. Because we are no longer are certain of the writing of the Holy Spirit in the chapters of our life. And so it's constant. So how our minds work, how, how the neurology, the psychology of our, my mind and my brain works, all of us is that negative experiences have a more powerful presence in our memory. So when you talk to people about their lives or anything, the, the negative things pop up first. They're either, they're brought there by trauma, they're brought there by some emotional engagement that has high-pointed them, highlighted them, and, and, and caused them to have more, more influence. And so, and so we, you have to then intentionally rehearse good things to counterbalance and to overcome the negative things just by design. That's why all through the Bible, from the beginning to the end, the word remember, 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 you have to determine to remember how good God is. Come on. You have to fight for the right to remember how good God is. Okay. Super Bowl joke. And the Bible says this about remembering God's goodness. They're dedicating the temple. They're singing a two stanza, one sentence song. For the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. What happened? Heaven came down. <sighs> no one's standing. Everyone's kneeling, fallen. Not by command, but by the weight of glory. God's so excited that someone finally got it right. God has a thousand attributes, but governing all of his attributes are these simple truths, his goodness and his mercy. At the essence, John said this three times in the book of 1 John, God is love. 
So out of the core of his, his virtuous existence, his who he is, the core of his heart, all of his attributes spring, but they're all governed by his goodness, his love. Anytime that's misrepresented, God is misrepresented. Yeah, he, he, he has all, yes, he's just, yes, he's perfect, yes, he's holy, yes, he's, he's, he's all these other things, but they're all governed by his goodness. David said in Psalm 27, I almost quit. I almost fainted. I almost lost heart. But I had this belief that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living on this side of heaven. And that little bit of hope kept him alive when life felt so hopeless and demoralizing. Oh, the goodness of God ruins you. When you know how good God is, you can't help but to expect his goodness to come into your life. Ha, that's, that's what God is. Number two, we remember how great God is. How great. They, when, you, when you study astronomy or just, or just look at it casually, there's over a billion galaxies. And a billion is such a big number, it's hard to grasp that. The average galaxy holds a billion stars. So there's a billion galaxies with a billion stars, average. And, and so God, God's talking to Jeremiah, talking to Isaiah, talking to guys in the Old Testament. He says this, I, I created the heavens, I created the stars, I called them by their names. Now I'm thankful I can still remember my grandchildren's names, there are eight of them. And God has... A billion galaxies and a billion stars in each guy. And God knows the name of it. Oh, yeah, that's. Oh, there's eight billion people on the earth. God knows everyone's name and intimate details. He, he, God is so powerful. When you took a shower today, uh, hopefully you did. When you did. <laughs> yesterday, whenever you did. When you took a shower, if you lost any hairs. Now, I take authority in my shower. I, I come in here and just stop falling from this head. Jesus' name. God knows the number of hairs in your head. That's kind of an obscure fact. He is so powerful. His omniscience so perfect. There's nothing that escapes God, nothing he doesn't know. So God's powerful. He's, David said this in the Psalms, twice I have heard all power belongs to God. I actually pray that almost every day. In my worship, all power belongs to you. All power belongs to you. I remind myself how great he is. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Our God is awesome. And when we lose the awesomeness of the belief of the awesomeness of God, something diminishes in our expectation, our behavior, and even our fearfulness. We, we become afraid when we're, when we're uncertain, uncertain of the capacity and power of our God to move in our life. I preached this last week, I think, in Psalm 2, God laughs at his enemies. No one's taking Jesus off the throne. No one's replacing God. The strongest opposed opposition to God in the universe is Satan. He's just an exiled fallen angel created by God. Yeah, our God's powerful. The last part of this is remember how faithful God is. 
Hebrews 13 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is so faithful, he said this, not one word I say, not one promise I've given will be unfulfilled. I watch over my word to fulfill it. The faithfulness of God heals my heart from the unfaithfulness of men. And you have to be careful that you don't let men who misrepresented God or hurt your life in some way, men or women, people, and somehow that diminishes your trust that God's not like people. He don't lie. He doesn't break covenant. He doesn't change his mind. His word is his promise. He's a promise keeper. He's faithful. Why does the sun shine and the moon reflect and the birds sing and our, our earth flies through the, fly through the galaxy at 1,500 miles an hour, whatever it is? How does all this, because God said it would stay in motion and the universe would be intact until he was done with it. His faithful word governs his creation. <laughs> faithful is he who has begun a good work in you who also will do it. He's a faithful God. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's faithful. My last point is this. Nehemiah said, I'm going to teach you defeated, broken people how to fight. Fight for your family. It's amazing what God can do in the life of a person with a little fight left in them. But when people lose their fight... They fall into victimhood, victimization. They, they embrace everything as unchangeable. And, and, and it's hard to awaken someone who's lost their fight. And so these people are 70 years. They haven't fought back. They've been vulnerable. Their city at any moment could be retaken. They were all defeated. They were living in a, in a, in a legacy of psychological defeatism, negativity. And, and here comes Nehemiah says, everything's changing. It's time to fight. And so the culture has declared war on your kids, your grandkids, your siblings, your aunts, your uncles, your nieces, your nephews, your cousins. There's an open warfare on our family. And our job is not to sit by idly or passively or indifferently and let the devil steal our family. Nehemiah said, take a stand and fight for your family and tell the devil to get his filthy hands off your children, off your brothers and sisters, your mothers and fathers. It's time to fight. The church must fight. Dark evangelists anointed by demonic powers have swept into every part of our culture. And they're reaching out to your kids. Trying to convert them to lifestyles that are perverted and ungodly that will destroy them. And God says, I need someone to fight for their family. I need to, no, you can't have my kids. You can't have their kids. You can't have my cousins. You can't have my nieces, my nephews. See, see, when people, when people stop fighting, they always give up too easy. They give up too easy. Paul's locked up in jail. It's a tough day. He's locked, he's locked up in jail in Philippi. And at midnight, what does he do? He has a prayer meeting. He's singing hymns to God, singing praises to God and praying. He and Silas, the whole prison listens to them. People watch how you behave and listen to what you say when you're going through hell. You with me? 
my, my favorite infomercials, my, but my favorite uh, 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 sales tactic is before and after pictures. I don't like when the guy comes out, hello, you want to be buff like me? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I want to see before buff. You want to be fluff like me? Before, after. I always I, I thought, honey, I need that pill. Look at that guy. And she, she always calms me down. They're just, Michael, stop it. But God says to us, people watch you. And when you overcome what they know would defeat them, they listen to you. They worship, midnight comes, God sends an earthquake, the foundations of the prison, the foundations of injustice were shaken. Every prison cell swings open, every chain fell off of every man in the prison. Two men worshiped, hundreds of men set free. The, the, the prison warden is upset. He's going to kill himself out of honor, his, his prisoners. And Paul said, um, don't kill yourself. Don't harm yourself. No one's run away. They were all under the fear of God. And the man said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You and your household will be saved. And the man and his house believed, were baptized. Listen, you know you're a Christian when you can witness to the last person that hurt you. I lost them there, honey. Got quiet. This Episcopalian congregation got quiet right there. Well, what, what does that mean, Pastor? Well, when you can overcome what people have done to you and still love them and witness to them, See, see, we want to preach the truth, but love people that believe lies. But because how can we reach them if we act like we hate them? Hate the devil. Hate the devil. <clears throat> Just a couple more verses and I'm all done. It's time to fight for our families. I'm, I'm taking a stand. I'm fighting for my family. The devil doesn't have the right. He, he can't have my sons, my daughters, my grand, my beautiful grandchildren. There are uh, three of them here right in the front row. And he, he can't have them. He can't have a single one of them. Joshua's like a zillion years old and he's getting a little cranky. I think he's 115, he's 110. He's, he's up, 120, he's up there. And so he's preaching his last sermon and he's letting them have it. He said, I'm leaving. I don't know what you're going to do. But his family is sitting over here in the family section. But as for you guys, me and my house will serve the Lord, right? <laughs> yes, Poppy, yes. Joshua dies. His faith lived past his mortal death. <laughs> That's what faith does. Hebrews 11 says this. Verse 7 about Noah. Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, by faith moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. 
Noah saved his family by building an ark. Prayer builds an ark to save your family. Make your ark big enough to hold all of them. Make your heart big enough to hold all of them in it. And tell the devil you can't have any of them. I don't care how lost they are, how deceived they are, how sinful they are, how mocking or ridiculing, cynical or angry or, or bound. I don't care where they go. Your prayers will chase them down. I don't care what kind of demon has a hold of them. There's angels that will, that will be dispatched. When you pray, things change. Don't you give up on your kids. Don't you give up on your parents, your siblings, your, your nieces, your nephews, your grand. Don't let the devil have a single one of them. Fight for your family. Fight for your family. I, I want to close with this verse in 2 Samuel. It's the, the mighty man of valor, David's mighty men, listing their individual, some of their individual achievements, which were considerable. And we come to one of my favorite ones in this last verse, set, 2 Samuel 23, verse 11. After him was Shammah. Now, Shammah, um, a derivative of this word is the word that was used for a compound name of God, Yahweh Shammah, the Lord who is with us. I just like the idea of Shammah being present. A guy who's present in the moment and doesn't miss what God wants to do. Was Shammah the son of Agid, Agi the Herorite. Now the Philistines had gathered together into a troop, a troop of soldiers, where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. And so the Hebrew people fled from the Philistines. But Shema stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. And so the Lord brought about a great victory. So, so here's what's happening. It's harvest time. And the devil will steal every harvest you'll ever have until you learn to fight. So they're, they're, they're ready, they've, they've planted, they've watered, they've weeded, they've fertilized, they've, gar they've gardened this field. And now at the, moit, at, the, at the moment of reaping the benefits, here comes a bunch of drunken soldiers, dozens of them. They're coming, a troop of them come. And, and, and all they do is show up. And as soon as they show up, everyone on the field, every Hebrew ran away. Except one dude. Now, now listen to me. If you don't learn to fight, all the devil does is show up to defeat you. At the first sign of, ad of adversity, if you quit every time that happens, you're never going to win a meaningful victory. Okay, let me talk to young people. Marriage isn't easy, but it's wonderful. Thank you. One voice in the wilderness. Marriage is beautiful. It's not easy. So when you get married, you marry a stranger. You think you know them, you don't. When you live with them, you know them. Whoa. And if you're not careful, you let something stupid destroy something beautiful. Well, I thought I'd be, I thought we'd be more compatible. No one's compatible. You're a man, she's a woman. How, that, that's, that's two different planets. 
not, we, 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 we don't work out because we're compatible. We work out because we're committed. <laughs> committed to each other, not to any institution. Committed to each other. I've got to finish that sentence. So, so you, if, if, if every time something goes wrong, you quit the job. Oh, God, they, 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 oh, they, were, they put pressure on me. Yeah, but did Jesus say to leave? If, if every time something goes wrong, you quit churches, you, you move, you quit your whole life, you'll keep losing your harvest because all the devil does is show up, bluster you a little bit, and you'll run off as if, as if adversity is a sign that God's against you. It's never a sign God's against you. It's almost always a sign that you're in the center of God's will, and the devil's trying to steal something that's yours. So here's Shammah. All his friends left. Here comes a bunch of soldiers with weapons, swords, and spears, and armor. Here comes the Philistines. Shammah picks up a rake, a hoe, a shovel, whatever it was. And he found the geographical center of that field. So here comes the Philistines. They, they probably had to blink their eyes. How come he didn't run away? You want to give the devil the heart attack, fight back. So here comes the Philistines, many of them. Here's a guy with no professional training, and he's got a, a farming utility, a farming instrument. I always picture my, my imaginary... My imagination goes crazy with this. I always picture him kind of swinging wildly, and, it, and he gets within 10 feet of a person, and angels just start knocking people out. God needed, God won a great victory because one person took a brave stand. One person can change the world, one person can win a family. Now, a couple things in closing. You have legitimate God-given authority in your family. That's your field. And in that field, you have authority to repel, to rebuke, and to remove every demonic instrument, influence, and attack that comes. You have authority. And, and God wants you to get a little fight back. No. No. It's not going to, this story's not going to end that way. God just needs one person in the field to stand, no, no, no. You can't have my, my children. You can't have my grandchildren. You can't have a single one of them. And just one person will let God win a great victory. When we began this church 20 years ago, 21 years ago now almost, and I was driving down the I-17 freeway just to start it, and the Lord said to me, the only prophecy I ever got about this church at the beginning was this word. Phoenix is your promised land. That's all I ever needed. And we moved to the center of the city on Central Avenue. And every time the devil shows up, he's like, bring it on, boy. This is our field. This is the devil cannot have Phoenix. The devil cannot have, while we're here, he can't have it. Now, every church has that same field. So we're all in this field together. Many farmers in the field of this massive six million people city, okay? Many, many farmers, but not everyone's fighting.
See, if you don't fight against them, you then have to adopt their culture into your belief systems and live as a slave forever under the control of an ungodly belief. Shema took a stand and said, no, no. A few years ago, I think, gosh, it's been maybe um, nine or ten years ago, I was invited to a meeting by the Phoenix Police Department. And, you know, unlike you, I was nervous. Oh, okay. So I come there, and there's just two of us in this conference, this large room, me and a, another local Hispanic pastor. We looked at each other and said, well, we're going to jail together? What's going on? And here comes the, the hierarchy, the brass of the Phoenix Police Department, one by one. They come into the room, they introduce themselves, and they said, we have a presentation for you. And they put on the screen a chart, and they said, here's what the crime rate was before your churches came. Here's what the crime rate is now. We've never seen in this city a neighborhood so radically transformed in so few years as what's happened here in Sunny Slope. And murder rate down 98%, robbery rate down 88%. Every rate was way, every breakthrough rate was way up there with these high numbers. And when we first moved to 19th Avenue, our church office was broken into 10 times in 10 months. It was like, you expect it every month, okay, this month's going to happen. And we, I hired security teams, we had everything. The last time it was broken into, they broke through like seven or eight walls to, to get around a motion detector, office walls to get the safe. And they, and they got the safe and they dropped the safe in the middle of the parking lot unopened. Now I always picture some big angel just showing up, scaring them away. Boo! They drop it, run off. We're coming to... The first month we started and having a Sunday night service, we're coming to church and there was like uh, two or three um, pretty young women at the corner, 19th Avenue and where we're at. And uh, I said to my wife, hey gosh, I wonder if the girls are coming to church. She started laughing. She said, they're prostitutes working that corner. Behind us was a drug house, Hell's Angels, a couple blocks over. So prostitutes, drugs, motorcycle gangs, us. Seven years later, no prostitutes. That it was the meth capital of the Southwest. Moved out, gone. Hell's Angels disrupted. Everything changed. One little church. One little church. I, I don't ever underestimate. Never underestimate what you carry with God. Your life matters and it carries authority. Devil, get your hands off our children. Get your hands off of all of them. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to me today. Would you please stand at your feet? Turn to three people and tell them, fight for your family. family has some rich stories. I'll let Pastor Matthew tell them all. He's, he's got a great testimony. Prayer team, if you join me down front.
Well, Lord, we love you. You are worthy of it all. That's too high for me. Oh, you are worthy of it all. Come on, declare this morning. Brag on how good he is. today of cancer in the name of Jesus I, I curse cancer from your body to declare a miracle that you let someone pray for you down front as we close the service if you're here today if you've never received the forgiving grace of a loving Savior today's your day and the Bible says this whoever calls on the name of Jesus will be saved we'd be so honored to pray with you you don't achieve salvation, you receive salvation. We'd be so honored to pray for you. If you've been away from God, make this a homecoming Sunday. Give the devil a black eye and say, man, I'm coming back to Jesus. If you're carrying, man, just a, a burden or need a physical healing, we'd be honored to pray for you. Maybe it's just been a hellish week or season, and you need someone to prophesy and pray for We'd be honored to pray for you. Anyone wanting prayer the next 90 seconds, come forward, church. Keep worshiping the Lord while they come forward. You are worthy. You, you are worthy of it all. Come on, declare it. You are worthy. You, you are, are worthy. worthy. conference. Tell someone Jesus loves him like crazy. Stay here as long as you want. If you're going, love someone on your way out. God